Amen. You may be seated for a little while if you can. The scriptures declare it is God that worketh in you. It is God that worketh in you to will and to do of his good pleasure, to reveal his will so you can cooperate with his will, so you can bow to his will, surrender to his will. And when you do, he, wo he works in you by the Holy Spirit. Amen. And the Bible said, he that began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He will never, never, never stop working as long as you will for his will to be done in your life. Can you say amen? He won't violate your will, but if you will for God to work within you, he sent the Holy Spirit for that express purpose. You will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me, not just passing out tracts, witnessing for me, but actual witnesses unto me in Judea, Samaria, the uttermost part of the world. It's God that worketh in you. And the Bible said that he's able to make, therefore, all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are the called according to his purpose. And if you stop right there, you'll miss the greatest work of all. For the next scripture says, for the, well, let me put it in context. Romans 8, I love Romans 8 because it's like the knot at the end of the rope. When you get to the end of the rope, someone said, tie a knot in it and hang on. Well, Paul got to the end of his rope. If you think there's a pinnacle you can live on where you never come to an end of yourself and uh, you never come to a place where you have it all figured out, you never come to a place of perplexity in your life, you're not reading the same Bible that I'm reading from. There's no place of faith where you figure it all out. It wouldn't be faith if you figured it all out all the time. But knowing that God is at work, no matter what is occurring, as long as you keep trusting him, amen. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 says, for we know this is not something that we're speculative about. It's not something we're speculating on. It's not something that is vague. We know. You have to come to a place that you know God is in control. You know that. When my wife came out of anesthesia, she didn't know where God was. She couldn't feel or sense the presence of the Lord. Have you ever been in a situation where you needed to feel the presence of God, but you didn't feel the presence of God. And your emotions and your circumstances will tell you that he's not there. Problem is, he is there. Your emotions are not detecting him because your emotions are stimulated to a high level because of your circumstance. Has nothing to do with whether he's there or not. How do you know he was with her then if she didn't feel goose pimples? If she didn't shout a few times, how do you know that he's with you? You know he's with you because every hour they call me on my cell personally and told me, your wife is in surgery. She's doing well. Another hour, she's doing well. When the surgeon got done, he called me and he was giddy. How do you know God's with you? Answered prayer. 
blessings, bringing you through things uh, that you didn't know where he was and what was going on, but he brought you through. Amen. He didn't promise to take you from everything, but he promised to take you through everything. And he promised to go through with you. And in all of this pain and circumstance, where where's, where is God when I need him the most? That's a normal reaction to a pain and pressure when you can't sense him. But I told you before, and I'm going to tell you in her presence, that out of her spirit, where he lives and came to abide, and out of her spirit where faith has been sown by the word of God, out of her spirit, when I prayed for because of the pain you're in, they can only give you so much when you're coming out from under, and the pain is, it's pain. And I'm not going to say I understand because I don't. It's kind of like childbirth, you know. I've never told a woman who was uh, come through labor and said, I know just what you mean. Amen. I do not know what you mean. In fact, I do not want to know what you mean. Amen. And if men had babies, we would not have an overpopulated world. And all the women said, Amen. And all the men said, Thank you, Jesus. Amen. But when I asked the Lord, I said, Pamela, I would take your place right now if I could. I prayed for the pain. I prayed for the pain to be lessened, not to be taken completely away. Only God, God could do that. By the way, she hasn't fulfilled one pain medication. This is an incredible thing to go through that and not have to have pain medication. But at the moment, the pain was present at that moment in time. And I began to pray for her with compassion and love. And, and I said, Lord, I know that you know what my wife is experiencing right now, the pain that she is in, because you know what pain feels like when you hung on the cross for us. You know what pain, physical pain. You were not immune from the pain of the cross. You felt it every bit. Uh, nothing Nothing was, was given him. They offered him vinegar and gall. They offered him a, a something to kind of deaden the pain on the sponge. When he said, I thirst, they dipped it in that. They held it up on a stick to his lips, and Jesus refused it. You know why he refused it? Because he was being punished so that we could be forgiven, punished in our place. And if he hadn't taken the pain, he wouldn't have been punished he died on the cross as a man forsaken of God. He did not die with any sense of his father's presence. In Pilate's hall, he stood so confidently and courageously, and he said, my father is always with me through it all. But on the cross, when he that knew no sin became in type sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, he had to take the wrath that was justifiably ours. And on the cross, he said, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which being interpreted as my God, Eloi, my God, Eloi, why hast thou forsaken me? Think of this, God incarnate, but on the cross, that sense of the Father, that sense of his own godhood, 
The only thing Jesus was sensing on that cross was his manhood, his humanity. This is the mystery of godliness. It's an incredible mystery. Theologians have tried and will continue to try, but will never completely figure that out, how he could be truly, holy, fully God and truly, holy, fully man simultaneously. And yet that was Jesus. That was Jesus. That was Jesus. So he suffered and died as a man forsaken of God. That's why Isaiah, speaking of his sacrifice and his suffering, his passion on the cross, what is commonly called the gospel in the Old Testament, Isaiah 53, who hath believed our report? And who, to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? When we saw him, there was nothing that we should desire him. In the context of Isaiah, it's seeing him, his humanity, his physical body and being impaled on that cross after the terrible scourging and beating that had occurred before he even got to the cross. Don't limit his pain to the cross and the six hours of that suffering. It began a long time before he got to the cross. It began with the crown of thorns shoved upon his head. It said they smote him. They blindfolded him before the cross, and they hit him with a closed fist, not with the open hand slapping him. They hit him with the closed fist, defenseless as a lamb dumb before his shearers. He opened not his mouth. He took it for you, and he took it for me. And these, these hardened, brazen Roman soldiers smote him with their fist and said, prophesy and tell us who it is that is striking you. They hit him with sticks and beat him. And then the most dreaded punishment of all was the cat of nine tails, a Roman scourge leather braided together at the end of the leather was pottery can you can you picture th those clay pots with tied at the end when you break it into pieces and they're sharp shards they would tie the shards or they would tie glass or they would tie metal shards in the end so it wasn't just stripes from a whipping when they hit you with it, it would wrap around you and then they would jerk it back. And wherever those shards were in the flesh, it would tear chunks of flesh. And Jesus, prophetically of Jesus on the cross in Psalm 22, and you might want to read that sometime because his sayings on the cross, many are recorded in Psalm 72 prophetically of his death on the cross. And he said, my bones stare out of me. That meant the whipping he got before he ever got to the cross was such that it tore that flesh away from his sides and you could see the rib bones in his body. No wonder he fell under the load of the cross. By the way, no one stepped out of the crowd and volunteered. No one had enough compassion on Jesus in that condition to step out of the crowd. They, I believe everyone is afraid of being identified with him, that they might suffer the same fate. So a Roman soldier compelled a man, you carry his cross that was standing there. 
And the man took up that cross and bore Jesus' cross to where they would nail him on it, impale him to it, and lift him up. And the full weight of his body on the nails in his feet and his wrist came down. His back was opened up with the scourge in order to breathe because part of the suffering on the cross was asphyxiation, not just, just the bleeding out and the pain. He had to push up to get a breath. And the pain so excruciating in feet and pulling to push up, he had to slide back down. There was this up and down movement of this person on the cross, tearing into the back, splintering into the back that was already opened up with the whipping. That's why Isaiah said, Who hath believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? When we saw him, there was nothing. See, it was repulsive. Everybody say repulsive. That is prophetic too. The Bible said his visage, his physical body, what people saw. They didn't see the God part of him, but they saw clearly his humanity and his human body. It was marred more than any man's. No one has ever been beaten, bloodied, tortured like this man. This is before they put him on the cross. That tearing, that beating, that bleeding. And in the garden, if angels hadn't come and ministered unto him, he wouldn't have been able to suffer long enough to pay the sin debt. In full. So if you want to know what they did, they didn't take away the suffering. They strengthened him supernaturally to not die before he could cry, it is finished. It is accomplished. Are you glad he stayed on the cross today? I'm glad he stayed until the last drop of the wrath of God was poured out on him so that we who have received him could be forgiven and be saved. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? When we saw him, there was nothing that we should desire him. But we did consider him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. You know what they said of him on the cross? He must have done something so terribly wrong. For God to allow him to be punished like this. There must be something. Why would he must be some kind of terrible criminal? No, he was the only man on this planet that was without sin. Amen. And yet he went to the cross. He that knew no sin became in type, not in reality, because he knew no sin. But he became sin, and he died on the cross as a man without God, as a lost sinner with no consolation and no comfort from God at all. Where, where, where was God when you were going through this? He's where he was when his son was upon the cross. God is always present. But he couldn't, and he wouldn't. It said it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It doesn't mean he got some kind of sick pleasure in Christ's sufferings. It means that through his sufferings, so many were going to be saved. 
And he said, if he didn't come and suffer, there's no way I can just... I can just take man's sin and, and, and put it under a rug. I'm a just God, and I can't be justified in forgiving unless sin has been punished. I'm obligated by my holiness to punish sin. So how can I save sinners? How can I save them? See, God's plan was something that no one, it said if the princes of this world had known, and I'm not just talking about Pilate and, and Caesar and, and King uh, Herod and the other uh, uh, kings and princes and, and politicians and people in charge. If they had known, I'm talking about spirit, spiritual princes and principalities. If they had known God's salvation plan, they would have never suffered Jesus to be crucified. They wouldn't want him to be beat. They wouldn't want any blood to be shed from his body. Amen. Because this was the way and this was the plan. Hallelujah. The disciples didn't know it. Mary didn't know it. Amen. I don't even believe the angels knew it. This was a secret plan. <laughs> and the, and the, the devil, I, I believe they had a party in hell while Jesus was dying on the cross. I believe they threw the biggest party hell has ever had in the midst of all the chaos and suffering. I believe they were shouting and dancing in glee for that short little time that Jesus was hanging on the cross. I love that, that preacher of old who said, but that was only Friday. Sunday is a coming. Can you say man? Hallelujah. Sunday is coming. Sunday is coming. They were dancing. They were shouting. They were claiming victory. But that was only Friday. Sunday is coming. Hallelujah. When we saw him, there was nothing that we did desire him. For we did consider him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But surely he bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows. Literally rendered, it's our sicknesses and our diseases. And it was quoted that way by St. Matthew in the New Testament. That's important. Said when they saw them bringing, this is how he interpreted Isaiah 53 in the New Covenant. When they saw them bringing the sick out of every quarter, Jesus was moved with compassion and he healed them. That it, the scripture might be fulfilled, spoken by the prophet Isaiah or Isaiah. Surely he bore our sicknesses, it's in your Bible, and carried our diseases. That's, we're not just Pentecostals doing something that's not biblical when we anoint with oil and pray for the sick. We are following the scripture to the letter. Hallelujah. Because he has bore our sicknesses. There was something in the redemption uh, sacrifice that made a provision for sickness and disease. And that's why James 5.14 said, If there be any sick among you, let them call the elders of the church. Let them anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of the faith, prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up. I love the way the scripture speaks. God doesn't mince words. This is inspired by God, the Scripture. He doesn't mince words. He's not vague. He doesn't confuse us. 
The Bible hasn't changed. God hasn't changed. The church world has changed. Preachers have changed and Christians have changed. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and he will be forever. Hallelujah. Amen. Glory to God. Somebody said preach it. Who was that? Hallelujah. Thank you. I would anyway, but thank you. Praise God. Like saying sick him to a bird dog. Amen. I love the word of God. When we saw him, there's nothing that we should desire him, but we did consider him smitten, stricken of God and afflicted. But surely he bore our griefs, carried our sorrows. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. We are healed. And it's not just physical. It doesn't begin with the physical. What qualifies us to come to him for physical healing is because we've been healed of sin's deadly wound. So the greatest scripture on healing is not necessarily that scripture as much as it is he carried our grief, bore our sorrows and carried our griefs. Matthew interpreted sicknesses and diseases. That's in balance with the scripture. Some people see healings, think immediately of the body. The healing that was greater than the healing of the body, truthfully, was when our sins were nailed to the cross with him so that God could forgive you. With his stripes we are healed. All of us, like sheep, next verse, have gone astray. New Testament spins off of that and says, there is none righteous. I love that. Say it again. Do you know why he reiterated that? There are some people that think they have arrived to sinless perfection. There's no such thing if we say we have no sin, First John declares, we're lying. We're lying to ourselves. We're, we're trying to sell the lie to other people. God knows better, and we ought to know better. It doesn't mean that sin has dominion. Let not sin reign. Sin doesn't have dominion. But we're human. You don't lose your humanity. Be angry and sin not. doesn't say don't ever get angry. Because you're human. It's part of the human condition. Everybody gets angry sometimes. Don't let it lead you to sin. But acknowledge your humanity. Amen. Only person who can't get angry is the guy laying down in that funeral home. You can get angry. Don't look at me sanctimoniously this morning. You can and you do. Brother Bimble, did you see me? No, but I know you're a human being. You don't lose your humanity. But don't let it lead you to sin. Be angry and sin not. Don't even let. Not, it's not 24 hours. It's 12 hours. Deal with it. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Get it under the blood and get forgiveness in operation. And don't let a root of bitterness be sown into you, springing up into this tree that troubles you. Amen. Be angry and sin not. I, oh, Brother Venable, don't you mean righteously indignant? No, I mean mad. Let's don't try to 
requalify everything in some kind of sanctimonious self-righteousness. Be angry and sin not. I remember the preacher, Brother Paul Young Cho from Seoul, Korea. I went to Winter Haven to hear him minister. He said, I was not sleeping right. I was not eating right. The church there is running 50,000 people every Sunday, even in the snow, 50,000 people per service. And there's five services per day. That's an incredible people's church in Seoul, Korea. When Billy Graham preached in South Korea, the revival was so great. Uh, it, it was said that no one had ever, that no crowd had ever assembled like the crowd that assembled to hear the gospel in South Korea. If you lost a loved one in the Korean War, there was a purpose in that war that there might be a non-communist zone in Korea where the gospel of Jesus Christ could go forth and be heard. Amen. If you lost a loved one in Vietnam and you thought the whole world, whole war was in vain, you should hear what had happened after the gospel had been sown and that space of opportunity was given as the gospel went into South Vietnam. Amen. It was said to Dr. Dr. Uh, what is, Dr. Wong from Hong Kong. It's easy to remember his name because it all rhymes. Dr. Wong, a theologian and a head of missions, international missions from Hong Kong, said there is a revival in South Vietnam said there is no great central church like there is in Korea, but there's a mighty move of God in South Vietnam. And said they're meeting in houses because of the immediate communist occupation. Marxism and communism embraces atheism. But there's a mighty revival. And here's what he said to the, the moody which is non-Pentecostal, but very evangelistic and evangelical. But to a Moody interviewer from Moody Bible Institute, he said, the revival in South Vietnam, said if you read the book of Acts and you see the miracles that occurred in the book of Acts confirming the gospel, he said that is occurring every single day. Day somewhere in South Vietnam, a mighty move of God with signs and wonders confirming. And the man used to religious organization here in America, highly organized religion, said, what can we do to help them? And you know what his response was? Let them alone. What, they don't need help. We need the help. We're the ones with the highly organized churches without the manifest presence of God. They're the ones that's got the manifest presence of God without the highly organized churches. So whatever you do, he said, and he said these words verbatim, do not try to organize them. Don't try to bring them under the Baptist denomination. Don't try to bring them under the Church of Christ denomination. In fact, don't try to denominationalize them. We're affiliated with Independent Assemblies of God International. You know how this organization formed? Out of the Azusa Street outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That's how this formed. Are you part of the Assemblies of God? No. Are you part of the Church of God? No. Are they wonderful? Yes. Is there a danger in every organization that man runs? Yes. 
Can you be spirit-led on Sunday morning with no other ambition but to please God and keep your job when someone holds the purse strings? There's a danger. We are independent, but we are ultra-dependent on the Lord because we don't have the backing of anybody else. If God don't show up and show out, we're done for. I love the story of the little boy that with his mom and daddy and baby sister in a camper. They had to close their tent up, get in the pickup truck, crawl in the back of the camper because tornado warnings came. Hail started beating on that tin of the camper. <laughs> They're huddled in the back. They decide it's time to pray. Amen. That old pickup truck with that camper starts shaking under the wind. They don't know where the tornado is. If it's over them, going to pick that up. What's going to happen? So they join hands and they begin to pray. Daddy leads the prayer for his family. Mama leads the prayer for her in agreement with dad. Then it's time for a little brother to pray. And he starts praying. He said, Lord, take care of my mama. Take care of my daddy. Please take care of me and take care of my baby sister in this storm. And Lord, he looked up and said, and Lord, and take care of yourself. Because if anything happens to you, we're all sunk. <laughs> Amen. Well, let me assure you today, nothing is going to happen and nothing has happened to God. He's the Lord God of Israel and he changes not. Whatever he was revealed to be, he is today and he always will be. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and he will be forever. I don't know about you, but I serve the same God of Abraham. I have a covenant with the same God of Isaac and Jacob. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. I walk with the Jesus, and he walks with me that walk the sandy shores of Galilee. I'm not part of trying. We've become so good at preaching, so, so experienced. We have such expertise in it all. We, if the Holy Spirit don't show up, nobody will miss him. Because they don't know what they're missing. When I conducted Jim Gates' funeral just a, two or three weeks ago, one of his sons that was a, just a kid in the services, squirmy kid, couldn't wait for the service to get over like all squirmy kids. How many were squirmy kids when you were a kid? He said, I, I, I just you know came to church because Daddy drug me with me and my brother both the brothers now serving the lord and he said i had never experienced the presence of god he said pastor venable he looked over at me and said he was preaching right sunday morning he was preaching and said to make a point he stomped his foot can you imagine Amen, me doing something that uncouth like that. Anyway, I stomped my foot under the anointing, and he said it was like a shockwave of spiritual power swept over that audience, and I felt it hit me. He said, I got away from God in my early years, but he said, I never forgot, and I love this term, the tangible presence of God. Can you say, man, what do you, what do you mean, Brother Venerable? I mean a God who we don't have to have that to trust him. We have his word on it, and we see him move in answered prayer. But there are times and seasons where God allows us to sense his 
presence spiritually. And I'm going to tell you, that's a life-changing thing. He said, I wondered. I went out into the world, but I never got away from the understanding that there is a real, a reality. This is not a man-made religious system void of any spiritual reality. God is, and he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. I'm glad for the tangible presence of God. I'm glad for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. One place we looked for a church, I was told, you know, I'm always told you can't hardly be led to the Lord. People are trying to lead you. And, but, but I was considering somewhere as God leads us forward, and there's a church on every corner. Why would God need another church with a church on every corner? Because it's not our church. They're not all like this church. You don't hear about miracles of healing in every church on every corner. You don't experience the tangible presence of God. You can see a great choir. You see a great orchestra play. You can see a great preacher preach a great message, but without the anointing. The anointing breaks the yoke. Nothing can substitute for that. No steeple and no stained glass and no Ph.D. preacher. And God healed you of a bleeding polyp. Which, please remember, Charles, who's in the hospital, has had surgery for that, had surgery again, Elaine's husband. We're looking for a miracle. We're looking for a miracle. We're looking and believing for a miracle. Buddy Green, William Green, who used to come to church years ago with us and visited a couple of times, is in the hospital. And he's in critical condition. He's on a breathing machine hoping to get him stabilized to have a CT scan to see why the internal bleeding is occurring like it is. Large mass upon the lungs for sure. Without God intervening, everything will follow its natural course. Answered prayer is not a big deal in most churches. There's a place for prayer requests, but that's all they are. And most people are surprised when an answer comes. It takes them back. I was prayed for by a church when I had a stroke. I was prayed for by a church of, of I don't know, eight, 900,000 people. My aunt, by marriage, her aunt, my, her real aunt, I grew up with, amen. She stood up in the congregation and said, there's a preacher my niece's husband in Tampa who's had a stroke, can we remember him in prayer? Of course, everybody prayed. It's just a normal course of praying for a prayer request. But then three days later when I walked out of the hospital with no symptoms, completely healed. How do you know you're completely healed? Because it's been seven years and no symptoms. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. That's pretty good confirmation if you ask me. I'll be 72 in January, and it's been seven years. And I walked out on the third day, and the guy that coordinated our property, the, the property procurer for Hillsborough County, Christian young black man, amen, he told me, he said, I, I told him what had happened in my testimony. He said, there's something about three days, isn't there? There's something about three days. I said, that's right. Amen. God brought Jesus out in three days. God brought me out in three days. Hallelujah. I love to share that testimony. 
amen, the man that came to coordinate the sale of our property, amen, started, uh, I could tell by his accent, I said, you're from the islands. He said, yes, I am. I said, which island? He said, Haiti. I said, Benishwala Danel. He said, Benishwala Danel. Which, if you don't know, French Creole that is spoken in part of the dialect of Haitian, it means praise ye the Lord. Hallelujah. It's good to sit down doing a business deal with somebody that knows God. Hallelujah, to know that God is directing and God is coordinating and God is in control and God is in it all. I'm not looking back at all. I'm looking forward. If God was through, I was ready. I start to say ready to be put out to pasture, but I can't imagine. I can't imagine. What would I do with all of this? I would sit Pamela down and, and preach, Lord. I'd sit her down and preach to her. And when I was done, I'd do this. <laughs> Amen. What, listen, what would I do with this? It is a fire. If you're called to preach, you can't just quit because you're discouraged. You can't just quit because you're disgusted. You can't just quit for any reason. Amen. Ask Jeremiah. He said, nobody's coming to God and I'm in this pickle because uh, I'm preaching the truth and nobody's listening to the truth and it doesn't make any difference. But down in the dungeon, in the mire, he said, when I mused on these things, I could not stay for it was as a fire shut up in my bone. Hallelujah. I met with the pastors for seven years for breakfast to pray together and pray for one another. One of them had a professor quit at his Bible college that he was attending, and he said, Pastor Venable, he said, why don't you come and, and put in for that professorship? I would love to sit under your teaching. And I said, I have no formal Bible training. I have no credentials. I have no degree in theology. And he just stopped. His jaw dropped. He said, then you must be really called of God. And I thought, is that a shock that God would actually call somebody? And if he calls you, so you know what goes with the calling? The anointing. I couldn't do this without the anointing. Sometimes I'm reading the Bible and something jumps out at me and I said, Lord, I would have never seen that if you didn't show it to me. Amen. Besides, there's not a lot of teaching in theological cemetery. I mean, seminaries, pardon me. Sometimes I always get my tongue to, amen. There's not a lot of teaching on depending on the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean I don't study. I've been studying for over four decades. But we need the spirit of truth to guide us into truth so that we can rightfully divide the word of truth and not leave out anything that is truth in the book. We don't look at the state of the church world to define what God can do and will do and is doing today. Can you say, man, we don't look at what God is, other Christians and what they're experiencing. Amen. Well, where do you look? You look where we're supposed to be looking unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. And the great thing about looking to him, amen, he doesn't change. He hasn't changed. He will never change. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and he will be forever. Whatever God was, he is, and he will be forever. 
when you find out what he identified himself as he is today. Amen. He told Israel, I am. I will put none of the diseases on you that have come upon Egypt, for I am Jehovah Rophi. I am the Lord thy physician. Can you say amen? Hallelujah to his covenant people. God is the healer. God is the deliverer. God is the savior. God is the provider. God is the father. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Every time I tell what God's done for me or done for somebody, somebody would come back. Preachers would come back with what happened to somebody else. I said, this is not about me and them and him. It's not about me and them. Well, I know a Christian that was so perfect and so wonderful and this happened to them. This is not about me and them and him. Don't bring them into my relationship with him. This is about me and him. Listen to this carefully. It's amazing that I would have to defend miracles to preachers in pulpits, in denominations, with Bibles. In Psalm 91, I love Psalm 91. I still love Psalm 90. I love all the Psalms. I love all the Word. But in Psalm 91 it says, Because thou hast made the Lord thy God thy habitation. That's not where you visit on Sunday. That's where you live day in and day out. Can you say amen? And under his wings. Hallelujah. God got wings. He expresses himself as a mother hen to take chicks under his wings. How excellent is thy loving. Oh, you're going to have me preaching for two hours if you don't quit amen. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the sons of men, stimulated by your loving kindness, put their trust under the shadow of thy wing. Jesus stood. That's old covenant, new covenant. He stood over Jerusalem. How many times? would I taken you under my wing as a mother hen does her chicks dwelling under the shadow of his wing means that God is available to me in the time of trouble all he has to do is close those wings because I'm right up next to him under the shadow of them can you say man he don't have to come on the scene I'm living under the shadow the shadow of his wings also involves his angelic deliverance Say, man, hallelujah. Angels are ministering spirits sent here for the express purpose of ministering in behalf of those who are sanctified. That's you and that's me. And that's why they are, they are here active on planet earth. I live under the shadow of his wings because thou hast made the, listen to the personal part of this. Because thou hast made the Lord thy God thy have. Who are we talking about? Me and him and them? Or is it me and him? Is it you and them and him or you and him? Can you make him your habitation? Can you personally trust under the shadow of his wing? Well, let me tell you what you can expect if you do. Because thou hast made the Lord thy God thy habitation. And under his wing thou hast come to trust. Thou shalt not be afraid of what everyone else is so fearful of. 
Thou shalt not be afraid of the arrow that flieth by day, nor the pestilence that wastes at noonday, nor the plague, for it shall not come nigh thy dwelling. There's some diseases out there that doctors can't fix. I'm glad I know the great physician. Can you say amen? Aren't you glad you know the great physician? I'm going to tell you, they did a good job on my wife, but they had help. The surgeon was giddy like a child when he called me. He said, he said her heart, they expected to be damaged because not enough blood was getting to it. She hadn't had a heart attack. There was no damage. She said, it said the heart is perfect. The valves are perfect. And the veins that we bypass, those clogged veins, the blood flow is flowing perfectly. And he was happy. It's like a kid on minimal bleeding. They didn't have to give her hardly any blood. It's incredible. She hasn't had one prescription filled for pain. They had some help. And they know they had some help because it was too good. It was all too good. Wow. It's good to know the Lord. It's scary. You may. We went to, had to go to several doctor's appointments, and we heard all these negative things, all these things they were warning me about. And I ran a printout that my doctor had printed, all these negative things. And I had a bad night that night. <laughs> I said, listen, you know, pray with me. But then I said, all right, I'm going in my room, shut the door, just leave me alone. And I went in there, and you heard that song, Fear, He's a Liar? Yeah, well, I put that on, and I played that two or three times. And, and the, the Lord, you know, the Lord just lifted all that off of me and said, because one of the things that bothered me about this whole thing was I had no choice. I was in their hand, you know. I had to do what they said. <laughs> I mean, you know, you go through that, you got to do what they say. And I didn't like that because I haven't done that. In years and years and years, it's like God has been my help. And I didn't, now I realized God used them to help me. I know he did. He saved me from a heart attack. But I didn't like them having so much power over me. And uh, it's it's like God said, all right, now I'm, I'm back, you're back. You're back. You're back where you were. Trust in me. And, and all that negative stuff they said. I, I, I even quit taking my blood pressure. I quit taking my... Not her medication, her actual blood pressure. You know, they said your blood, your pulse is too low. If it gets any lower, you know, your heart's just going to stop. And, and then, you know, your sugar's too high, and it's going to damage your kidneys. And, you know, they're doing all this stuff. Well, they were wrong. They were wrong. God turned it all around, and I ha- I was able to point my finger at that nurse practitioner and tell her, I am not a diabetic. The surgeon confirmed it, so quit treating me like one. <laughs> Amen. God is still in control. Amen. Yeah. Yes, it is. Where would I be without Jesus? We talked about 
in times of trouble and pressure not being able to experience sometimes his presence. We talked about that. But my wife said, when I was praying for her pain, Jesus, you know pain better than any of us. And I know you have compassion on people in pain. So I know you're listening. I know you're going to help. And she blurted out over my prayer, Jesus, your pain, my pain is nothing compared to your pain on the cross. And I thought, yeah, that's it. That's it. That came out of her spirit where the word had been sown. Your emotions are flaky. They're up one day and down the next. You can shout in church and be squalling like a baby on Monday afternoon. Can you say amen because of circumstances because you can't control them. You live in a faulty body. I hate to break it to you. You're not Superman or Superwoman. Amen. You're altogether human. Amen. You live in a faulty body. You live in a fallen world. Things go wrong down in this world. We're not there yet. Won't it be wonderful there having no burden to bear? Yes, we're not there yet. But we have a faithful father down here. I said we have a faithful father, so it's all right to have a faulty body. As long as we're at home in the body, he's going to heal the body, and we're going to be what we need to be until he calls us home, and then it's going to be okay because we'll be ready to go. Can you say, man, the devil won't take us out. Fate won't have anything to do with it. Accident or circumstance won't have anything to do with it. God will call us up higher. That's all. Amen. Now let me finish this so we get them out of the picture and we focus on him for our faith and his faithfulness. Because thou hast made the Lord thy God thy habitation. This is where you live day in and day out, not just where you go when the heat's on. Not who you just call on when the trouble drives you to him, but something you live because his love and kindness stimulates us to put our trust under the shadow of his wings. And we live under the shadow of his wings. Actually, there's a confirmation of that in Psalm 90 in verse 1. Lord, through all generations, thou hast been our habitation. Can you say, man, we live in concert with you. We live in trust in you. We live by you, faith in you. Thou shalt not be afraid of the arrow that flieth by day, nor the pestilence that waste at noonday, nor the plague, for it shall not come nigh thy dwelling. Listen to this carefully. It gets personal. That's why I'm, I'm assigned to sow faith into God's people. Twisting God's arm to get him to give. Let me give you two. Th- I, I got ten things to give you, and we got to vacate here. But I want to give you two important ones. Here's the logic of the cross. The Apostle Paul said if he loved us enough to give us his only begotten son, to give him not just to lie in a manger, but to die on the cross. That's why he came. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? How, how would he refuse your cry for help and deliverance and healing? He never refuses that. What happens is we don't have the faith to receive it. And you can't even get saved without faith to receive it. 
You've got to receive Christ by faith. For we're saved by grace through faith. It is the gift of God. God offers the gift to every human being on this planet. Many are called, like everybody, but what? Few are chosen. What makes us chosen? Election? No. Responding to his call by faith and repenting of our sin. He asked a man, would you be healed? He knew everything. See, without faith to receive, it's not trying to get God to grant or coming up with some doctrine that makes him less God or makes him different than he always was and always will be. But faith to receive comes one way. It's not by shouting. It's not by dancing. It's not by prophesying or being prophesied over. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Separate yourself from the word. You won't have faith to receive. Stay in the word of God and whatsoever you ask in prayer, believing. See the element of faith? Believing, believing, believing. You shall receive. Heretofore, you haven't asked anything in my name. Ask that you might what? Get some vague excuse for God not coming through. No, ask that you might receive, that your joy might be full. I do not say that I will pray for you, for the Father himself loveth you when you come to him in my name with faith to receive. God is a benevolent, gracious, giving God. He gave his son. Why would he withhold something less than that precious gift from you? That's the logic of the cross. Can you say amen? Just keep separated from the word of God. Don't pick up your Bible. Watch the talk show. See what's going on with the Hollywood crowd. And come to church on Sunday with no faith to receive. And have prayer by someone who believes God. But you can't receive it. Because there's no faith to receive. God assigned me to build into his people faith to receive so that prayers can be answered, so that God can be glorified in the answer. Amen. The beaten down, beaten up, defeated, beleaguered Christian, amen, is not a representative of this king or this kingdom. I don't want healing so that I can watch TV without pain. I want healing because I represent a healer. I represent a real God who is and who is a rewarder of them who diligently seek it. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. God said, if you're going to pray for people, I have refused certain things because I wanted to receive it by faith because I'm going to pray the prayer of faith for somebody. And if it's not working in me, how can I pray it for you? My, watch, my wife watched me break down and cry like a baby at the thought of putting myself in the hands of men without, and, and thereby saying, I can't, I can't trust God for this. It's too dangerous. Too dangerous to trust God with this. I can't give it to God. And her concern for me wanted me to make sure everything. 
but I gave it to God, and I don't regret one minute. And when she came the other night and sat by me on the couch, amen, needing God's help, she sat down by a man who is living this, who is walking in it, who isn't just talking the talk, but who's walking the walk. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I didn't have to go to Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I didn't have to call in some great evangelist. You know who I got to pray for me when I had a bad diagnosis? This guy right here. I'm not saying that he wasn't up to the task. I'm saying that when he prayed for me, he said, Lord, mark us with miracles. Distinguish yourself and us as your people by letting us see your hand work, letting us see your handiwork. And God healed me because Doug prayed for me with his father-in-law. There's agreement. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that amazing? It wasn't Oral and Billy. It was Doug and Terry. After a men's breakfast, everybody's gone but us, and I stopped, and God said, ask them to pray for you. I didn't say, well, who are they? I knew who they were. They might not who they were, but I knew who they were. They were children of the Most High God. Can you say, man, they were the sons of God. And they began to pray for me, and Doug had tears in his eyes of compassion. And I thought, boy, love is flowing. The love of God is flowing from him to me. And he said, Lord, mark him with miracles. And I said, that's it. I receive it. There's no more. Brother Venable, you know something? I think it was 10 years ago because I was 62. And I just had this tremendous vision. It took so much blood I passed out <laughs> to check me out. I mean, they were determined to find something. I honestly, they took five vials at one time. Well, I. <laughs> I can't stand the sight of blood, especially my own. Anyway, <laughs> 10 years ago, 10 years ago, Brother Rimbaud, do you believe something's going to take you out of this world? Yes, something is when it's time. But it'll be time. Praise God, because God has done a work on me. Healed me of leukemia. Delivered me from a stroke without any symptoms. Healed me of the stuff they were looking for that they couldn't find because he took care of it. And there's been no symptom of it for 10 years. If it ain't broke. It ain't broke. I'm telling you right now. God's been good to me. God's been good to you when you had a blood disorder and they couldn't find the cause and didn't therefore know the cure. But he came for prayer and told one of his colleagues, amen. And he's a man of learning and he has a degrees to, uh, in doc, what, what is the degree? Master's degree in mathematics, head of the math department, Plant City High School. So he's a man with education. Oh, God. What what did you say? Some knowledge. I'll tell you, I I appreciate I appreciate an educated man, a vast amount of knowledge. But you know the greatest knowledge he has, Amen, is to know the Lord. And to know that he never changes. And to know that the prayer of faith still saves the sick. And the Lord still raises them up. 
and to have God address that and to share it with a colleague that is going through cancer at the time, facing cancer. Listen, I, I tell you something. Be careful where you sit in church. Don't just sit for the choir. Don't just sit for the, for the teaching of, of deep, uh, you know, uh, theologies that just give you head knowledge get somewhere where you can get to know your God because they that know their God shall be strong and they shall do exploits because God hasn't changed and the knowledge of this unchanging God will give us the faith to trust him for things that our mind would balk at will you stand to your feet today and let's close in prayer I have been assigned to build faith into God's people so that you can receive everything that he has purposed and everything that he has promised in his word so that you can have the help you need and so that God can get the glory for helping you. So if you want to live in defeat and complain about God being faithful, there are churches will accommodate you and they will feed that attitude. They will never challenge you. They will feed that attitude. And you can look at where we are right now. There are people sitting in church this morning for the music. They're going for the entertainment. They won't know no more about God when they walk out than when they walked in. They will hear a cut and dried Christmas message. There are books you can get that gives you an outline for every event through the year, every 4th of July and Christmas and every holiday. And here I am today this close to Christmas, and what am I preaching? I'm not preaching, just a Christmas message because the hour is late. Christ is coming soon. And what we do for the Lord, we need to do it quickly. Can you say amen? We need to work while it is day, for the night cometh when no man will be able to work anymore. This is the window of opportunity before Jesus comes. I want to see the goodness of God in the land of the living, not just when we get to heaven. I'm a recipient of God's healing and God's help and God's deliverance. I want you to receive the same. When we pray for you, I want you to have the faith to receive. I want you to get into the word with us. I want you to get the word inside of you. Amen. Because if you abide in me, this is Jesus' challenge. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, you shall ask. See, you'll have the faith to believe and the faith to receive. You will ask what you will in the will of God. We understand that. But you will ask what you will, and it shall be granted unto you. If you abide in me and my what? My word abides in you. Because faith comes how? By hearing. And hearing by what? By the word of God. Hallelujah. There are some people that have never heard one of our teachings in the word. Never took the time to take 30 minutes, 90 minutes for a television program, two hours for a movie, but not 30 minutes in the word in a month. All we get is what we get at church. We never have a personal hunger or desire to seek. And the Bible said, you will find me. You'll find me 
when you seek after me wholeheartedly. Can you say amen? When you seek after me with all of your heart, not just what's left over when you're not too busy for it. Oh, friend of mine, how God wants to help us and how God needs to help him help us. Can you say amen? Remember that movie years ago? Oh, yes, I've watched movies. But there was a movie where an agent, the plot, the agent is trying to get a young football star to straighten out before he loses his contracts. And he's wild and crazy. And he won't do the things he needs to do to help his agent to keep him in the limelight and to keep him in demand. He's in threat to losing it all. And his agent, which happened to be Tom Cruise, said to him, and I think it was the, yeah, the young black fellow, Cuba Gooding. Yeah, Cuba Gooding Jr. See, some, some Pentecostals even watch movies. It was edited for TV. Don't go buy it. But here's what he said. And I want to make a point. His agent gets in his face and says, help me help you. Help me help. I can't do it for you. So cooperate with me. Help me help you. Does God need us to help him help us? You bet he does. He wants us to get in his word. He wants to get his word in us. He wants us to get in his house. He don't want it to be like it used to be at the Holy Church of God. Years ago when we filled the building, people coming for a prophetic word to fall out under the power, even to be healed without the word. You know what was in pastor's Bible study when we had 150 youths in the balcony? Eight to 12 people. So they fell out sick in need under such manifest anointing and power and got up sick in need and walked out sick in need because there was no faith to receive when they were prayed for. And such a powerful presence of God in that building. And so many people shipwrecked. So many people disease-ridden. Prayed for a lady and God just gloriously changed all of the numbers for cancer. Went right back to the doctor back under chemo and died within three months. No faith to receive even when the numbers changed, even when they couldn't find it anymore. As your faith be, let's get personal before we leave here. As your faith be, as your faith be, so be it unto you. God is not the issue. God is not the problem. So God gave me a tough assignment to get people to turn off the TV long enough to get in the Word, for people to come to church for the Word, not for all the political and social reasons, to come to a Word church. And I don't mean this name it, claim it. I'm talking about where the Word of God is brought in power Sunday after Sunday so that we could believe and receive. And it is time to go. Thank you for helping me check. This is my assignment, and this is why we don't have a, a sermonette on Sunday morning. Because if God hadn't come through for you,
man, we're coming to an end of what they could do for you. But the things impossible with men are possible with God. And I pray God will help me to help you. And I pray you will help me to help you. Would anyone make any changes after this message? Is there anything in your life that you might want to do differently in the week to come in terms of your focus, in terms of your time and how you manage it, in terms of the time you spend hearing or reading the Word of God? Let God and me see your hand, that you're willing to help me help you and help God help you. Can you say amen? Some of you are so sincere, and I love you. Thank you for raising your hands so I can fulfill my assignment because God told me don't just preach anything. You preach what I give you for this hour and this time to your people and to anyone else who hears because I want to be glorified through my people's help that I grant them when they call on me. Hallelujah. I said, Lord, that's what a deal that is. I get the help I need and you get the glory for it. It's a win-win, isn't it, Sister Venable? It's a win-win to the glory of God today. Stretch your hand this way. I, 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 I thrive on your prayers. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. Help me to help you. Continue to pray for me as I delegate more and more to other people so I can fulfill the calling that God has called me to. Father, I thank you and I praise you today. We honor you today. I receive the strength from the prayers of this people. This is where my healings and my help has come from. Thank God I don't have to drive thousands of miles or fly somewhere. Thank God your anointing is right here. Your people are right here. And your love is right here because you're right here in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen and amen and amen. Now, go and eat the fat and drink the sweet. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Thank you for coming today.